blowing apart the dulcet and calming tones of those administratum-approved Vox stations. We are the Chainsaw Rasp of Truth and Rebellion, 665.66UHMR Chemrat Radio. Coming to you live tonight from the Ice Bore Inn, the last bastion of the Frost Hollow. Why can't we just get to a nice warm bar with the little, you know, umbrella drinks? I, re- I really like those. At least our bites avoid anything this deep. Speaking of our favorite jackbooted ponds of Spire Authority, food riots have spread across the Carastus Manufactorum District, bringing to a halt ammo production after last week's ration reductions based on administratum quotas. Arbites were brought in to restart production, but only managed to start a hab war. It sounds about right. Bring in the green glow of unregulated and possibly unstable plasma to the underways of Innsmouth. I am Goblin King. Joined by the beguiling rogue of bejeweling, our very own seer of the Southlands, Emmy. Hello. And making sure we never cross off more things than we add, it's our very own master of grudges, Marky. Hello, motherfucker. What's up, people? <laughs> <laughs> By the end of our Age of Sigmar coverage, you are going to play dwarves because I'm just going to keep putting the book of grudges on you. I'm sorry. Me? I'm sorry. Yeah, Me? and you. It's going to happen. Nah. <laughs> Aren't you a little short to be nope. a stormtrooper? Nope. Before we jump into the introduction of the episode in what is colloquially referred to as mandatory podcast fuck around time, I am reading... Demon Slayer, Wrong which is the third yeah. book in the Felix and Grotrick series. And mm-hmm. it is the one where they bring in the Slayer. So there's a Slayer who is from the engineering guilds of the dwarves, and he makes a giant like helium dirigible, like Hindenburg mm-hmm. thing. Yep. And they're going through all the technology and everything. And I was immediately like, oh, this this explains a lot of the Age of Sigmar engineering dwarves. I, I knew that stuff existed, but I didn't quite like all the gyrocopter and dirigible stuff. I wasn't super aware of. I was more aware of the field guns. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was, it was pretty neat. It's it's neat to see the old lore and then like make the mental pathways to Age of, uh, to Age of Sigmar. It's mm-hmm. like you can find them as you hit things. It's really cool. Welcome to Under the Realms of Madness, Episode 3, Warhammer the Old World. This is Nagash and the Bone Boys. Just like real-world history and the Warhammer 40k lore that we have covered up to this point, deep world-building lore normally doesn't exist in a vacuum. Our last two episodes of Under the Realms of Madness, we took a big look at everything that was going on, bouncing back and forth through different focuses of important events. So we would introduce something that the dwarves were doing, and then we would jump back to the elves for a second, and then we would jump to the beastmen or the ogres or whatever, and we were kind of just introducing everything as close to how it chronologically happened as we could. However, Mm. with this episode and probably going forward, we're going to be taking deep, hard looks at single areas or single characters. And in this case, we're going to be focusing on Nagash and the origins of the undead, meaning we'll be skirting around some of the other major world events as well and not really getting super detailed into how anything other than the fall of Nekara... Nekara? Nehekara affected events that were happening elsewhere in the old world. If you listen to our Warhammer 40k content, we did this with the fall of the Eldari and the birth of Slanish. We introduced that. And then as we kind of went back to the 
unification wars and stuff like that, we talked a lot about like, you know, this is M30. So this is happening at the same time that this is happening. And we kind of link back a little bit here, a little bit there. We will circle back to connect a lot of the other bits of lore in the old world and in Age of Sigmar as we get up to where they slot into these individual stories. Emmy and I came to the realization. Emmy came to the realization. I don't know why I said and I. But <laughs> Emmy came to the realization that we really needed to kind of focus in on telling a huge chunk of a couple of people's backstories because yeah. they are so slotted into everything that's happening. Yes. And the gash is one. Manfred von Karstein. We'll talk about that. That dude. We've um, got the the three exalted champions of chaos that we'll have to cover. Oh, uh, yeah, we'll have to go over Archeon and all that nonsense, and yeah. you know about the ever chosen and all that stuff. And I think um, Sigmar himself kind of deserves a bit of a deep dive. Oh yeah, Sigmar will definitely get a deep dive. Yeah, because Sigmar is an interesting dude. I like how he like comes in, saves the day, and then like fucks off for millennia, and then like comes back, hits one guy over the head with a hammer, and then like fucks off again. It's top tier storytelling. <laughs> it's it, he is he is the personification of Deus Ex Machina. Literally, oh, the warhammer need- is a plot device. Yeah, like, like literally. Jesus. Yep. <laughs> he's out Warhammer of line, but Jesus. he's not wrong. <laughs> he is Warhammer Jesus. He's he's Warhammer Poochie from The Simpsons. Like, I have to go now. My planet needs me. <laughs> it, it wasn't this your planet? What, what? <laughs> My other planet. I'm a missing Primarch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, there's all that. There, yeah. So tinfoil hat territory. I, I we we keep dipping into tinfoil hat territory pretty big. I think we've been doing the podcast long enough that we're starting to talk more about weird conspiracy theories and weird theories. Mm-hmm. We want to try to work tinfoil hat territory, or I don't know, whatever we're going to actually name it into each episode to if we can. Uh, but yeah, if start saving up those tinfoil hat conspiracies on Sigmar because uh, they're going to be they're they're worth money. You cannot like if we want to go deep dive. I think that like I made a TikTok that there's this like uh cap cut template that you could use that like does a little reveal in the middle of another picture, and it was like POV. They found the missing Primarch for the Eleventh Legion, and I had a picture of all the Primarchs, and then I just had Ted Cruz's face. Oh yeah, I saw that. (laughs) (laughs) And people were like, "Yeah, but hear me out," and I was like, "Yep, there he is." Do do not reveal more stuff about the Zodiac Killer than we need to know. (laughs) His name is John (laughs) Cena! Alright, I'm good. (laughs) Sigmar with the steel chair. (laughs) (laughs) That whole thing that he does where he like flashes his hand in front of his face. Yeah. I watched something. I can't remember what late show he was on, but he was on a late show and they asked him what the origin of that was. And apparently like there's some rap video that was really popular. Someone just farted and I was like, oh God, that's (laughs) (laughs) like like the guy like dances with his head, like covering his face. And John Cena thought it was really weird and like didn't understand it. So he was describing it to somebody in the WWE and he's like, yeah, I don't know. He did like, like something like this with his face. And they're like, oh, you got to do that. And then he did it. And then it was just like, it was supposed to be a one and done joke. But now it's the thing for John Cena. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I don't so even you know can't, how this You happened. can't see me. Yeah. You can't mm-hmm. see me. Yeah. 
before we get into the meat of the episode, we have to talk a little bit about the Imperial calendar. We have been sort of fast and loose with the approximate dates over the last two episodes, often using our unofficial and Games Workshop's unofficial before Sigmar or something similar to denote what era we're talking about. But as we approach the age of the Empire, we are going to switch to using the more official in-world notation, which is IC. IC stands for Imperial Calendar. This is the official calendar of the Empire, and it's the most commonly used system for dating used among human cultures of the old world. Since most of the lore we're talking about comes from the human perspective written by human academics in the universe, this is the common way to find dates written down in books, whether or not that's short fiction or it's rule books. The year of Sigmar's coronation as the first emperor serves as a year one of the imperial calendar. And we don't really know what age he was at. We just kind of guess around what age he's at it stuff is within a year or two within a couple of years yeah even at this stage i see is still pretty interchangeable with the before sigmar that we've been using mm -hmm. it's just you know give or take that handful of years yeah. <laughs> the, the dwarves or elves may have been a little off yes but again we're going with date ranges here so just to give you guys a couple of dates the twin-tailed comet destroyed mordheim in 1999 i see felix jaeger published his journeys with gotrek gurnison in 2505 i see the end times the approximate date range is 2519 to 2528 well, the War of Vengeance between the Dwarves and the Elves that we covered in brief last episode took place from about negative, so 2000 to 1600 before Sigmar's coronation, so before I see. Just like with Warhammer 40k, the dating system can get a little bit muddled. And from a world building perspective, it's actually really important to keep this stuff in mind. If you enjoy our content from the perspective of creative writing and world building, a lot of times when you look at any of these world building projects like Warhammer, Warhammer 40k, Brandon Sanderson's um, Kashmir uh, universe, I believe is what he calls it. Anything like that, you know, pick, pick another avatar, the last airbender, any of these world built worlds, we have a tendency to think of events in a linear perspective, you know, that high school breakdown. This happened in 1941. This happened in 1942. This happened in 1944. This happened in 1947. This happened in 1952. And then we landed on the moon and we look at it, bing, bang, boom. But that's mm -hmm. not how history works. All of these things are actually overlapping each other. You know, this project is starting, you know, this, this war is happening in, in the Warhammer context. All of these events and the Hekara are happening during the War of Vengeance. Mm -hmm. All of this is happening down south while a giant war is happening in the old world between the elves and the dwarves. They run a lot of their timelines concurrently is what it yeah. sounds like, right? Everything okay. is concurrent. Everything overlaps. And that that's it's just good world building. Mm -hmm. Say you're dealing with Avatar The Last Airbender because it's one of the more simple ones that I can think of off the top of my head. You know, you've got the Water Nation, you've got the Air Nation, you've got the Fire Nation, and you've got the Earth, Earth Nation. Earth Nation. Thank you. And if it was one of those things where it was like in 1707, I'm making stuff up. In 1707, the Earth Nation attacked. And then in 1721, the Earth Nation made a peace with everybody. And then in 1844, the Fire Nation attacked. Well, okay. But did it really? Was that was that all that happened, or was there other stuff happening? Oh, of course, there's a bunch of other. Right. You know, Bing Sang Sung is being built at some point. Bossing Aang is Bay. being lost. Oh, yeah, at some point. Did, I, did 
Did I fuck that up? Um, <laughs> Aang is being some? lost at some point. I, I, I watched it. It was just a couple of years ago, and I don't remember that much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's fun. I watch it like yeah. almost every year with the wife. It's like her there favorite. Go. Uh, it's so good. Her favorite series. The world building is pretty good. I But mm-hmm. the problem is I came at it from a world building perspective, and I came at it at like 35 or 36. So none of the like growing up as a child stories connected with any part of me because I was very detached. Yeah, for sure. Right. If I had seen it earlier, it'd probably be a nostalgia. It'd probably definitely be a nostalgia plug. But like, I, I mean, Lord of the Rings is a great, another great example. As yeah. Frodo and Sam are go doing all of this stuff, there is a giant world war essentially starting around them. Mm-hmm. That's how actual history works. So that's how a lot yeah. of like deep world building works. Just to sidetrack because that's what I do. Uh, <laughs> so I was watching. I was, I was watching like a little short video of like. Uh, you guys remember who wants to be a, a millionaire or whatever of it was? Course, yeah. Are you like, yeah. you know, you talk, you have the ABCD questions, the, the question like to get to, I think 500,000 and uh, from 250 to 500,000 was uh, which of these are not Pokemon. And it was like Pikachu, Jigglypuff, uh, Rattata and Frodo. And the guy's like, can I get a 50, 50 split? And they 50, 50 split it. And it was like Jigglypuff. Frodo. He's like, you know what? I don't feel comfortable answering this, so I think I'm just going to take the 250k and go. And the guy's like, seriously? <laughs> and he's like, well, oh. as you all know, Frodo is from the famous series The Hobbit. And I was like, isn't Frodo from Lord of the Rings? Like, what yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's really not in the prequel. <laughs> We're failing here. We're failing here a little bit, bud. Yeah, I was like, man, was, no one wants to be a millionaire, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's pretty funny, though. Yeah. Every time, every once in a while, when I see one of those and I see the question they're asking, I'm like, this guy's got it. He's totally got it. He doesn't have it. He has no idea what's going on. They probably have like vast knowledge on other obscure things yeah. instead of like pulp, co- pulp culture things where that's like, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to ask me like, fit. what? Like, there's so much in pulp culture. So it's like, you know, you can't know it all. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I would really hate to go on one of those shows because nothing would be about 40k or right. the old <laughs> I used Matt. to uh, host bar trivia, and yeah, and I thought like, okay, I'm pretty good at general trivia, but then it'll ugh, the fucking sports questions. Yeah, do I know the batting average of like everyone in the and Sammy Sosa in 1990 something? Yeah, Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, like I can get a little encyclopedic about some topics, but sports and especially like genres of music that I don't care about, I'm like, and just TV shows and stuff like network television from years before I was born. You just don't know. It's like in, in the 1990 series friends, uh, Jeff, I can't remember any of the fucking guys, uh, what the fuck chandler drops a what on his foot you're just like are you fucking sad but like (laughs) you know some fucking episode of mash like you've lost (laughs) you you lose me like it it would lose me at a lot of things i'm not a i'm very not encyclopedic when it comes to just general knowledge i'm he's better with maps (laughs) much better And the bar's really low, so I mean, it's. I was this close to qualifying for the national geography B and being like one of fifty middle schoolers that got like 
flown out to meet Alex Trebek, but get out. Some homeschool kid beat me out for Wisconsin, so oh, I unfortunately did not get to go because some kid with a rat tail that drilled facts all day. Mm-mm, not me. Man, you sound like me complaining about not being able to play Modern Warfare. Well, like, I was too busy, <laughs> Can't right? even I fucking was... log in without getting capped by some 12-year-old who plays eight hours a day. <laughs> I had, I that had slept to, with, like, that slept with my mom. hours of my day to feeding my Neopets and playing RuneScape. Like, excuse me. Oh, another RuneScaper. Oh, yeah. I was grinding that dragon armor. <laughs> I feel very uncomfortable with these two RuneScapers right now. I don't know what's going on. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. I've never played that game. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) You lie. I didn't cut yew trees for hours and hours on end every day. That wasn't a thing. What fucking yew trees? (laughs) I literally have no fucking clue what you guys are talking about. In the 1990 pop game of of browser-based games... What is the one tree that you would cut <laughs> over and over again to gain 99? What is the a skill tree? I, I'm guessing mm. that's the answer. Right? Yeah, and then you had right? to also mine and smith the like sophisticated enough axe to be able to hack into it. There was also the magic tree, too, you know, the members-only one. And yeah. for a while, I was using my allowance money to be a member. Um, yeah, me too. And, uh, <laughs> I was yeah. using my lunch money. My lunch money. Yeah, I was I was like, here, Ma, this is me and my buddy's lunch money. Can you mail this in so that way we can get members? And like two weeks later, we can get members. We're like, oh my god, yeah. I'm gonna mm-hmm. put on this member stuff so that way I can wear it. And then when I'm a non-member, I look cool because I have a cape. Yes, I had the full pink wizard outfit from the Camelot Endgame <laughs> quest. Ryan's like, I fucking, I fucking hate you, people. <laughs> literally have no idea what you guys are talking about. I'm just like, oh, sounds cool. I did get vaguely excited about the little trinkets that can hang off of your butt in World War Z that are either, I think there's like a Space Marine, a Zerg, and two other things, not a Zerg, a Tyranid, and two other things you can get now well, for free. Yeah. World but War Z, that's a, there's a, it's a, there's uh, a game. And you get 40k trinkets? You would actually probably like World War Z, to tell you the truth. I mean, I'm all about killing zombies. Yeah, it's like, four four players, endless zombie horde. Can like, you, how yeah. long can you survive? Like it, it's the 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 zombies, tyranids, and Nazis is like the best best three things to. What about to, zombie tyranid Nazis? <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, if you combine all of those, that's the game. Oh like, my that, god, that is the game. It's a trifecta. Yeah. And then you get Chuck Tingle to write the novel. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, dude! Why? Why? Uh, <laughs> right. zombie Nazis peg me in the ass by Chuck Tingle. <laughs> You're not far available off. on audible.com. All right. You're not far <laughs> off. Tyranids are very phallic y in certain aspects. So, I mean, it's. Especially oh. that, especially that pop and thorax that we looked at earlier. <laughs> By the way, if you guys are interested (laughs) in following along visually, not only can you see our faces, but you'll also see the screen that we are looking at over on Patreon. Shameless plug number one. To jump into the episode here, we have a quote 
In the dread desert, beneath the moon's pale gaze, dead men walk. They haunt the shifting dunes of the breathless, windless night. Brandish weapons of bronze and mocking challenge and bitter resentment of the life they no longer possess. And sometimes, in ghastly dry voices, like the rustling of sun-baked reeds, they whisper the one word they remember from life. The name of the one who cursed them to their existence. More than death, but less than life. They whisper the name Nagash. That's an extract from the Libra Necris, translated by Manifred von Karstein. Manfred, not Manifred. There's no Anna. The Libra Necris, the Book of the Dead. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's the Necronomicon. All right. We're going yeah, to stay facts right now. We need to do it right. We're going to state <laughs> facts right now. <laughs> There's definitely some Necronomicon stuff going on this episode. This is some, a this is a Necronomicon episode. Some class for two. <laughs> 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 he's a the, spooky man with a big hat. What's the what's there the Book is. of the Dead in uh, in in the Mummy? Oh, I don't know. There the Book of the Dead. I think it's what's called. The, oh, 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 what's the Egyptian name? Yeah. See, you, you, there goes you guys' million dollars. All right, that's it. It's right gone. there. And that's a movie I've watched several times. <laughs> so Nagash is known by many names. The great necromancer, great betrayer, usurper, undying king, supreme lord of death, and he who shall not be named, just to name a few. He is an ancient evil being who is the ultimate personification of death and undead who sought to conquer the world and bring about an age of undeath, which he would rule alone for all of eternity. Nagash is a force of unreasoning darkness and hatred, bent toward never having his power denied or questioned again. The father of vampires, the creator of the dark arts of necromancy. The lord of undeath came close to the ultimate domination of the world millennia ago, and were it not for the sacrifice of an unsung hero, he would have succeeded. He remained banished for many generations, passing into legend and rumor, but always his dark whispered echoed in the purple wind of magic, called Shaish. His damned soul recollected power and gathered those who had and those who would follow him once again. A vision of a world filled with the silent, unthinking undead bound to him alone, leaving him the only thing that was freely thinking and without challenge. It would become his overwhelming goal, one that he wouldn't act on until he had regained his true power once again. It was the machinations of the dark gods of chaos that forced him to move before he had chosen. He would need to return to and oppose them, or they would claim the prizes that he sought. So who plays Anaxuna Moon in, uh, in fantasy? Uh, Neferat. Neferata? Nosferatu? That's her name, right? Neferata? Neferata, yeah. Yeah. Neferata would probably be the Anaxuna Moon character. She's the mother of vampires. We'll talk about her today. She's pretty. Okay. I remember watching That's The Mummy her. when I was a kid. And I was, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I remember Scary. watching uh, The Mummy as a, as a kid, and I was like, ah, oh, she's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> that whole movie, man. Yeah. Pretty the people. Bisexual panic. Oh my god, <laughs> the Bren- bisexual panic. Brendan Fraser <laughs> is a specimen specimen of a man. Specimen in that yeah. movie. George yeah. of the Jungle. My God, I didn't realize how like beautiful that man was until like I, as an adult, I watched uh, George of the Jungle and I was like, Jesus Christ, man, that guy's a yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great movie, by the way, George of the Jungle. If you haven't seen it. Oh, fantastic film. <laughs> <laughs> it's been years. 
it's timeless. It's really timeless. Encino man. Airheads. <laughs> oh man, Airheads. That's a good yeah. film, man. All right. So quick recap. As we covered in episode two of our coverage of the old world, Nagash was the first son of King Khetep, third of the dynasty of Khemri. <laughs> It's going to be a lot of that this episode. (laughs) Oh, there's going to be a lot of that. Really got to phlegm it up. (sighs) Oh, yeah. This meant he was destined to serve in the mortuary cult. His younger brother, Tutep, would ascend to rule after their father's death. Nagash was extremely gifted as a student, quickly becoming a high priest, but his pride and greed wasn't satisfied, and he coveted his brother's throne. He plotted and corrupted the mortuary cult, drawing together many like-minded acolytes, of which the cruel noble Archon was the most devoted. That's Archon. Uh, On a night when the clouds choked out the moon, Nagash murders Thutep's bodyguard, captures the young king, entombing him alive within the Great Pyramid of their father. Then, as the sun rose, blood still staining his hands, Nagash took his place on the throne, none daring to oppose or confront him. That's not emotionally healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Nagash's reign became a time of terror for the people of Nechikara. He constantly sought to increase his own power through any means, including dark sorcery. In fact, oh, perfect. I'm so glad we're discussing this. In fact, he had captured a cabal of dark elves who had been shipwrecked on the eve of his father's funeral, imprisoning them within the king's great pyramid where he tortured them for every scrap and secret of their mystical powers surpassing even their power within a few short years. That's when you know like someone's not a main character when their name is Tutep. It's like there's one <laughs> Tep and Tutep. Don't worry about Tutep. He's not going to be here long. He's not important. No. He's not important. He's not, important. He's not terribly important. They. He also, I think something that it didn't mention here is um, Nagash had a thing for Tutep's wife and mm-hmm. uh after he she didn't go in the pyramid with him it was like hey you want to go out now and she's like no fuck you is that <laughs> a, like, a, no- a nox in a second moon yes uh, yeah an ox yeah. in the twice moon yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. yeah there, there's a lot of and there's a lot of similarities between egyptian uh or uh Origin myths? Yeah, origin mm-hmm. myths and some of this stuff too. You know, as we do like overviews of characters and we're kind of like drilling down, we're trying not to give you guys a four hour episode. One of the other things that I found interesting was when he was done with those dark elves, he released them just so he could hunt them down and kill them with the powers that he stole from them. <laughs> That's some Ted Bundy shit. Oh, yeah. No, Nagash is not a good guy at all. No, that's the thing about Nagash that I think is unique to this universe is I think every other, like 40K included, every other like bad guy, there's some justification as to why they did the things that they did, you know, like the arguably like the worst people in every faction are like, well, we did this for the good of our people or, you know, to purge the Xenos for the good of mankind. Like Nagash is just evil because he's a dick. Just Nagash and Logar just hanging out in a corner together. (laughs) In the the immortal words of uh, Satan, 
say Satan, Satan. Uh, oh, oh, they're not. not Katan. They're I not, thought you were bringing up the Katan. Not, not, I'm not like, the this Katan. is not the Necron <laughs> episode. What are you doing, brother? Satan in uh, Wreck It Ralph, they're bad guys, but they're not bad guys. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Like that's right. A true, like he, oh, yeah. I think, is the baddest bad guy in the whole in the whole Warhammer. Oh, Satine, I, I think, is what yeah. his name was. Yeah, it's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. When they're in the, <laughs> yeah, when they're in the the group the group huddle. The, the group bad, bad for guys anonymous. The bad guys anonymous. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but Nagash is definitely was not at that group. No, Nagash would not have been at that group. He's like the with, rich with guy in the Bison. pest. He just like set him loose and then hunted oh, him yeah. down. <laughs> that fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So of necromancy and treachery, this is two thousand years to eleven thousand fifty-one years before the imperial calendar. So 2000 to 1151 IC, before IC. I did that wrong somehow. Negative 2000, so it would be the other way, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, so it starts in negative 2000 and it goes to negative 1151. Yeah, that makes sense. So primed with his knowledge of death from his experience in the mortuary cult, Nagash began to experiment with necromancy, fueled by his mastery of dark magic, recording his findings in nine accursed tomes known as the Books of Nagash. These would become the most powerful resources on necromatic magic in the world. One of his chief successes was the creation of the cursed Elixir of Life, with which he was finally able to unlock the secrets of eternal youth. Nagash shared this elixir with Arkhan, his trusted vizier, and his other top lieutenants. While it granted them increased strength and immortality, Nagash kept the secret of how to create it to himself, enslaving them to his will. Basically, if they didn't follow him, he wouldn't give them more elixir. Always seeking to increase his power and dominance over Nehekara, Nagash ordered the building of a vast black pyramid, a structure that would channel and harness the winds of magic ever closer to his will. This project became an obsession, with the cost quickly draining all of Kemri's resources. Nagash demanded gold and slaves from the other cities of Nehekara be paid to Kemri, and in the cases where they wouldn't give freely, he would go and take those taxes by force. Marble the color of midnight was brought from faraway lands, as slaves toiled day and night for 50 years to build the Black Pyramid of Nagash which ended up towering over everything. In his arrogance, he built it to dwarf even the Great Pyramid of Setra. The broken corpses of dead slaves were built into its very foundations, and the mystical sigils were woven throughout its very walls. Its surface remained cold to the touch, even after being baked in the desert sun, and the black marble would not even reflect starlight. With its completion, the winds of magic grew stronger across Nehekara, and Nagash's power in necromancy and the dark magic increased tenfold but the project had drained the cities of nehekara and the demands of the tribute to kemri seemed unending as those other city-states began to fall into ruin and poverty racked shambles the priest kings came together in open defiance no longer would they submit to nagash well that's just what we call pillow talk baby It's Sorry. giving Sorry. big, like, Darth Plagueis the Wise vibes. Oh, yeah, 100%. I'm making the bone juice. I'm not going to let you live unless you follow me for more bone juice. Yeah, spooky shit, man. Sounds, sounds like a nice guy. <laughs> He's not trying to sell you a vacuum cleaner. Just kick him out. It's just fine. No one will blame you. 
There will be no escape, no blessed oblivion. I can end your life as easily as I can extinguish a candle. And before your corpse is cold, I can reach out and grasp your soul. You will be my slave for all eternity, and I shall laugh at the depths of your pain. Such is the power of Nagash. Again, not emotionally healthy, folks. To break the defiance of the priest kings, Nagash used his necromantic powers to raise a legion of skeleton warriors, and for the first time, the undead were shackled to the will of another. Many mortal soldiers simply fleed in horror at such a sight, and city after city fell before Nagash. The mortal warriors who did fight bravely against this tide of the dead would simply only swell the ranks of Nagash's army when they died. Nagash believed it was only a matter of time before his forces brought all of Nekara to kneel in supplication once more, but his arrogance almost proved to be his undoing. After years of fighting in isolation, the remaining seven priest kings unified all their strength into a final push towards resistance. But their army wasn't just flesh and blood, for among the troops strode towering statues. Having seen the destructive force of Nagash's sorcery, the mortuary cult decided to take action, putting their centuries of secretive research into practice on the battlefield. In a grand ritual, they summoned the spirits of ancient heroes from the realm of souls, then bound them into the statues that lined the many passageways of the necropolises. The flesh and blood troops of the seven armies were emboldened by the presence of the Ushabti, Necrolith Colossi, and the Cumrian War Sphinxes, and they crashed with devastating force into the undead legions. The army of the Seven Kings defeated Nagash in a titanic battle before besieging and eventually sacking Cumri. Nagash's lieutenants took refuge in the Black Pyramid, but one by one they were dragged from the sarcophagi into the sunlight and executed by the priest kings. Only Nagash managed to escape and survive when Archon sacrificed himself to stall the attack. Nagash, with a curse on his lips, vowed to turn the entire world into a kingdom of the dead before he traveled to plot his vengeance. He ran away. Didn't mean double tab. My bad. So Nagash at this point flees north and kind of drops off. The, the map, so to speak, as far as history that's going on. And we'll we'll touch to where he went and what he was doing in a, in a little bit this episode, and we will definitely come back to it when we talk about the Skaven, because there's um, some crossover. Is that a floating fucking pyramid? Yeah, that I, I guess yeah. in the Total War games it floats. Well, oh. yeah, the rat magic makes it float. Yeah. It's warp stone. At this point, it doesn't float. It's just at this bigger. point. Yeah, this is pre-rat. Well, pre pre-floaty. <laughs> yes, the pre-floaty. <laughs> but I was having a hard time finding a picture of it that was actually it. So I'm like, ah, eh, this works. Well, yeah, they don't like. I mean, if it's a fucking floating pyramid in my video, <laughs> is that is that the scientific could, term for the timeline? Pre-floaty. Pre-floaty. Uh, yeah, in my um, Nagash video, I couldn't find a picture of like them building the pyramid, so I just put the fucking Bass Pro Shop pyramid in the background to see if people would say anything. <laughs> I laughed, like out loud. Okay, I didn't. Good. I didn't respond, but I literally laughed out loud. <laughs> I just completely straight faced it, and I was like, "They constructed this pyramid." Do you know that it's the third largest pyramid in the world? 
That's so sad. <laughs> Fucking sad. Is the other one in the one in Vegas? No, no. It, it, it is I, actually Giza. It's, actu- it's actual pyramids. Oh, yeah. thank God. Everything that's bigger than it is an actual pyramid, but it's like the yeah. third or the fourth largest pyramid in the world that that's that so we sad. know of, I guess. Oh, God. Not including cigarettes. Those are bigger. <laughs> yes. Nehekara had been bled dry in its defiance, and even though for hundreds of years the priest kings continued to rule, the taint of Nagash had forever changed the land. Famine, civil war, and barbarians from distant lands became an ever-present threat, while the treachery of Nagash had forever soured the authority of the royal bloodlines. It took several centuries for the next powerful king to truly rise to power. This king, named al was a ruler. Yeah, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get there was a ruler the likes of who had not been seen since the days of Setra. So a little aside, Al-Khadizar was actually the like pro- I, not the actual son, but the prodigal son of uh, the queen of Lamia, who is Nefrata, who we'll talk about here pretty soon. Um, she is like the, the first vampire, and she mm-hmm. had actually raised him and tainted him with the blood of her womb so she had been trying to like essentially control him by feeding him vampire blood to make him more pliable about it you're not gonna just drop that like we didn't just hear it. did you just say that the blood of was, her womb yeah she was feeding him menstruation blood i well i i think it's a little bit more like blood from her active womb womb rather than menstruation blood but essentially yes she just like simbed him like it was is that what all right she was i'm just saying like she's like oh hold up i need a refill just let me all right that she was trying she was trying to make a, a little king that she could control with with by having him earn his red wings. Yes, that's the, that's the oh, point. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> so oh my what Sarah. she was doing was she was using the the blood of her womb to essentially like create an artificial parent-child relationship so she could control him better. And he found out about it and found out she was a vampire and was basically like this bish and then ran away and became the best king that had been seen since Cetra. Interesting. Yikes. So under his wise and charismatic leadership, this is Al-Khadizar. Al-Khadizar. Yeah. Under his wise and charismatic leadership, the great cities were once again bound under a single ruler, and Nehekara began to prosper once more. But the treachery of Nagash wasn't easy to forget, and the mortuary cult had been watched closely. The lich priests were forbidden from using anything other than their age-old incantations and rituals practices that had been in place for many centuries. But the lords of the city of Lamia hungered for power, and they saw Nagash's sorcery as the means to live forever, cut their independence from the mortuary cults, and rule all of Nehekara. So basically, because of Nagash, people turned against the mortuary cults, and they mm-hmm. outlawed the mortuary cults from making any new rituals or practicing any new incantations. They would only that. let them, yeah, they'd only let them stick with like the tried and true, the, the, um, what's it called? The good old day, not the good old days. <laughs> There's a name that I just can't fucking remember for this. They wanted them to stick to the original. They, they were like, don't, mm-hmm. no more 12 herbs and spices. Stick to the original crispy chicken. 
her first testament <laughs> yeah essentially they were like uh, traditions that's it they wanted them to use all of the old traditions they didn't want him to develop anything new right. and it was because they didn't want another nagash you know nobody in oh, nehekara wanted another that. nagash to rise yeah no nobody likes that so the lords of Lamia stole one of the blasphemous books of Nagash from the Black Pyramid and began a century-long study in the arts of necromancy. The queen of Lamia, Neferata, embraced the dark powers and used them to consort with demons, creating her own tainted version of Nagash's elixir of life. However, she was not as skilled or as knowledgeable as Nagash, and while she had extended her life indefinitely, she had cursed herself for all of eternity. Neferata and her court were struck with the unquenchable thirst for mortal blood. Lamia became the birthplace of vampires, creatures who possessed the strength of dozens of mortal men. Fearing that necromancy would call down the wrath of the gods, Al-Khadazar gathered his legions from every corner of Nahakara and declared war on the vampire queen. Against this amassed force of chariots, spearmen, archers, and giant war statues, not even the power of Lamia could stand, and they were smashed, the pale queen herself fleeing, accompanied by those she had shared her vampiric gifts with. So this sums up like almost 200 years of history. Mm -hmm. The Lamia stuff is all happening... And then Al-Khadazar is born, and then the queen is trying to control him, and then he figures out what she's doing, and he runs away, and then he rises to power, gathers the army, and comes back and smashes her. I would have ran away, too. So so the Neferata is like, is that? I'm assuming that's like a play on a Nosferatu, like she's the first vampire? I think it's a play on Nos- Nosferatu and oh, Queen Nefertiti. Nefertiti. Yeah. Oh, that's fucking cool. Mm-hmm. So mm. Nefertiti was one of the first Egyptian queens to introduce the idea of monotheism mm-hmm. in the worship of only Ra as the god of Egypt. And that went over real well while she was in power. And then when her power kind of started to wane, not even when she had just gotten old, but like when her army just wasn't as good, it became mm-hmm. incredibly unpopular really fast and she was destroyed. <laughs> oh, okay, so you're not being facetious. Like it, it, people did like, Ra was the the one god kind of kind of deal. Yeah, for for a couple of years, I, I, the Egyptian culture we look at it as being a polytheistic religion because that's the easiest way to look at it. But uh, right. the Egyptian civilization, Egyptian culture, went through a couple of periods of monotheism where they only believed in one god, and that and the, was Ra. Yeah. They kind Ra, of default to Ra, Ra is the the sun, sun god. god. Sun god. Okay. Yeah, he's yep. kind of the principal god. Right. Yeah. Right. There's, there's some, I mean, Egyptian Egyptian history is super interesting. It's probably why I like Nagash and a lot of the Tomb King stuff is because I'm super mm-hmm. into Egyptian like culture and history. And I just really like Yu-Gi-Oh! So <laughs> <laughs> these guys give off big Yu-Gi-Oh! vibes. He does. He's got a hat. And, you know, the more powerful you are, the larger your hat gets. I've learned that from the Catholic Church. And Nagash has the biggest hat. He does have the biggest hat. That's, bigger, that was bigger the than the Pope's. statement of my video. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what's Is her name again? Nef- no. Cool hat? Yes. Nef- uh, Neferata? Neferata, that's yeah. A, that, that's a cool, cool, like, mm-hmm. little parallel. The Nefertiti yeah. and Nosferatu. That's super cool. How does yeah. she look? Is that the, the picture that you had up earlier, Ryan, or was that the main squeeze for Nagash? That was, yeah, that was Neferata. Um, oh, okay. I'm pulling up. I'm, I'll pull up a couple of more pictures. But, yeah, she, you know, she has a, like she a, lady, has a lady pre-life, look. and then she has a post- what is the what is the post look like? I, I I'm picturing Lady Death. That oh she looks badass. Yeah, there's a couple of different depictions of her. 
That is she's super a, sick. She's the first vampire. Mm-hmm. That's super dope. Makes me want to play vampire. Dude, vampire count courts are fucking awesome. I yeah. love the vampire courts. They have a dragon. They have yeah. They have a like a big vampire dragon, like bone what? dragon thing. It's what? super sick. Can you show Marky a picture of it? What the, the zombie dragon? Fucking dragon, mm-hmm. bro, dude. Vampire cult or court? Vampire court? Vampire courts? That, oh god, it makes me. Want, oh god. See, this is the problem with Warhammer. I'm just gonna come out and say it. When you read the lore, you like you're like, oh fuck, that's cool. I want to do. It. Oh yeah. Is that her on top of it, or is that just a? No, it, uh, it's just a vampire, like vampire noble, but that's a zombie dragon with a vampire knight on top of him. Oh my god, that's so cool! The new sculpt is even cooler. I think. Isn't that the new? Oh no, you're right. That isn't. No, the that's new the old sculpt. Yeah, it's almost like a like a bat dragon. Yeah, the new sculpt's way cooler. Here, here's the new sculpt. The the rider's not on him. Yeah, but here's the new look at him. What? Yeah, He's they're so sick, cool. dude. I built one. Is it, there's one in my I'm gonna have to get what you, grave lords. I'm going to have to get with you later, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that is cool. That'd be dope for D&D. Mm-hmm. I actually really like... Um, I don't know... Well, this is not her episode, and I don't really know a hell of a lot about her backstory, but the Mother of Monsters is one of my favorite Age of Sigmar characters. Mother mm-hmm. of Monsters? Who is that? Uh, what's her... I Her name I always fucking forget. Oh no! Is she also a vampire court? Yeah, she's a vampire court. Oh my god! Fuck! You're, you're pulling you me away from Skaven, and you're pulling me into vampire court. Do you remember her name? No idea. Lama Va. I don't remember. Nagash in his fortress, Nagashazar, far away to the northeast of Nihikara, at the edge of the marshes of madness, had been manipulating the vampires of Lamia since their creation. Having felt the pull of his necromantic and ancient evil, he drew them to his side, where they would become his dark captains. Nagash used the vampires and a host of skeletons drawn from the cairns and graves of the northern lands to assault Nikara once again. These many battles and skirmishes would pave the way for his inevitable return. He even resurrected his trusted servant, Archon the Black, who won many battles for his master. War seemed to assail Nikara for years without end, but al was the greatest general of his age. First he held strong, and then eventually at the Battle of the Golden Skull, he managed to repulse the undead hordes of Nagash once again. The vampires were scattered across the world, fleeing to save their lives, and without them around to command the skeletal hordes crumbled. But Nagash still survived a plague on Nikara. The land had already been scarred by decades of warfare, but in his bitterness, Nagash decided if he couldn't rule Nihikara, no one could. He put into action a plan to strip it of all life, polluting and poisoning the Great Vitae River until it flowed thick and dark. And so it became the Great Mortis River, its taint skinking into the f- sinking, sinking. No, skinking. I like skinking. Skinking. I like skinking too. Because I was like, oh, we do get a lizard episode. (laughs) Taint sinking into the once fertile grounds that relied on his life giving water. 
Pestilence and disease became rampant across the great land, and within a few weeks, those who succumbed to them outnumbered the living. City streets became choked with the dead as 90% of Nehekara's population died. For all his might as a military leader, Al-Qadizar was powerless, and he mourned for his people as he watched the land around him die. I like slunking. Slunking? Yeah. Slunking. It's slunking. slunking into once fertile grounds. <laughs> For the old world geography lesson, that's I'm I'm on the right track. Nehekara is bordered on the north by an area called the Marshes of Madness, and then just north of them is the Badlands. To mm. the east are the World Edge Mountain. To the east of the Badlands are the World Edge Mountains, and then as the World Edge Mountains go down into the Southlands, they become the uh, they become another mountain range. I can't remember the name of it. It's is that the, where our tax got there. stuck in the mud. What's where your tax? What? Is that where Atreyu and Artax got stuck in the mud? 100%. The Marshes of Madness. You're right. Good <laughs> callback. The Great Mountains, the Great Southern Mountains, I think is what they're called. So just kind of keep all of this in mind because the where the Marshes of Madness are and where the Badlands are are important as we move into where Nagash fled to and where Nagash was kind of manipulating stuff from. And by the way, we have a map pulled up of the known world as of the year 2502. Join us on Patreon to see that. <laughs> yes, close visual like podcast two. episode. For 3 6 or $9, you can see all of our beautiful faces. <laughs> um, how close is this map to actual real world? It's pretty close. So it, to answer the question or to go further with the question that you're kind of putting out there, the marshes of madness and the badlands would roughly be the middle east eastern border of the mediterranean sea map of the known world is a tweak on earth the map of earth essentially mm-hmm. yeah i could barely name three countries let alone like the seven seas just <laughs> barely name three <laughs> how, how, how many how many seas are there seven right i don't remember there's more than seven seas it depends on what you consider a sea versus what you consider an ocean. Yeah. But, you it know, also depends on what. I thought the whole pirates thing was like, oh, you sail the seven seas. Is that is- well, that was accurate sometime in the 1700s. Uh, so. Okay. Yeah. so it was more of like an old yeah. saying. Because like, you got there, like, the Black like Sea, in- the, De- the Dead Sea. Like You got yeah. all these other seas. Baltic seas. Yeah, there's all there- sorts of inland seas. Too. There's but- all sorts of, yeah. It's yeah. what you end up counting. So it's like more like the oceans, right? So you have like the... Yeah, yeah okay. You pretty gotcha. much only have the Pacific... The- you only have two oceans. Pacific Ocean and Atlantic Ocean. The Atlantic Ocean. Ocean. Well, you got the Indian Ocean, too. That, that is true. That one's oh. pretty big. Mediterranean, is that an ocean? It's a sea. That's Mediterranean a sea. sea. Yeah. Yeah, That's see, the- I'm just as horrible about you know, marsh- water as I am land. The marshes of madness and the badlands would be in the area that... Give me a country. Israel, Jordan, uh, Iraq, Jordan. Iran. Uh, co- or continent, sorry. Not, not a country. Give me a continent. The Middle East, Middle basically. East. Okay. Yeah. Asia. It roughly, yeah. Southwestern Asia, yes. There's there's pretty much no Thank like you. That, Saudi that helps. Western Asia. Gotcha. There's mm-hmm. no Saudi Arabian. Next next to Egypt, right? Yes. Like Egypt yeah, is, Egypt. is no, yeah, so like yeah. north of, of Africa. Nehekara is essentially Egypt. Nehekara yeah. is essentially north uh North Africa. Gotcha. Sorry, listeners, for my shitty geography lesson and no <laughs> completely know how of, of seas and oceans. 
Well, I mean, if you if you see the map that I've got pulled up, <laughs> mm-hmm. the bad the marshes of madness and the badlands are in the middle of the like are the middle of the picture right now. Gotcha. All right. So Nagash Izar and the Skaven. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Nagash Izar. Nagash Izar. The glory of Nagash. Glory to Nagash. <laughs> so Nagash Azar and the Skaven, as Emmy just brought up, that Nagash Azar means the glory of Nagash in High Nehekaran, and it is also called the Cursed Pit. Nagash Azar is one of the mightiest fortresses the world had ever seen. Built with a tireless label force of undead, the castle rises nearly a mile over the desert, and it's excavated from the living rock of the Cripple Peak, with the top of the mountain being its highest spire. Although the castle bristles with hundreds of other towers and spires. Four mighty gates guarded the approaches of Nagashazar, each watched over by an animated war machine. These are bone golems, uh, intelligent bone-made canapults, all sorts of really crazy stuff. The, the craziest undead war machines that existed. The gates themselves were made from a black metal which shined like burning obsidian and was ten times harder than any known steel. Beneath Nagash Azar extended almost extending. Extending. Thank you. Beneath Nagash Azar extending almost twice its height into the mountain and ground itself were a honeycomb of corridors, mines, and galleries where the undead and Skaven toiled and mined for warpstone. Cripple Peak, located at the southern edge of the World Edge Mountains, sat atop a huge deposit of warpstone, a substance that the Skaven crave above all else. Rumors had reached them as they had spread from Skaven Blight along the various paths of their under-empire. Eventually, they came into conflict with Nagash, as the Skaven discovered a horde of undead occupied the upper reaches of the Cripple Peak. They skirmished with the undead time and again, being pushed out in a series of invasions. What is Skaven Blight? Is that like poop? Skaven Blight is the city is a city of men and dwarfs that was corrupted by dark Skaven magic and essentially slowly sank into the ground. Ah, uh, okay. It's okay. the capital of the Skaven Empire. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And Both the Skaven place. Empire. And the Skaven Empire. Empire. Umpire. The Skaven Empire tells you what type of ball to throw or whatever. Whatever an umpire does. <laughs> Skaven ball. Um, the Skaven Empire ends up consuming a lot of the like lower reaching, lower reaches, I guess, of the Dwarven. You just gave me an idea, right? You know how they have Blood Bowl? They should have yeah. like Blood Ball, where it's like baseball. Dude, that'd be so fucking dope. You get your Skaven There's Empire. Also Dungeon Bowl, which is yeah, kind of fun. that's right, that's right. There is Dungeon mm-hmm. Bowl. I do have that up there. With such a huge stockpile of warpstone to be gathered, the newly formed Council gotta, of Thirteen. You got to give us where we're talking about. Oh, where we're talking about? We yeah. are covering the War of Cripple Peak. This is about thirteen hundred years to twelve hundred years prior to Sigmar. With such a huge stockpile of warpstone to be gathered, the newly formed Council of Thirteen took over the efforts to capture Cripple Peak directing several of the Skaven clans in a coordinating effort to take Nagashazar, even though these tactics had worked on many dwarf holds, the undead hordes of Nagash were limitless. The Skaven launched attacks from below the mountain and from above, hoping to drive the human followers of Nagash out. But they feared Nagash would even more than they feared the Skaven and a bitter war ground into a stalemate for a hundred years. The council realized they could not win the war and that it was costing far too many resources to continue. It was then that an envoy from Nagash arrived and proposed an end to the hostility in a pact of cooperation. 
In exchange for Skaven aid, Nagash would supply them with huge quantities of warp stone and the undead mined from Cripple Peak. The Council of Thirteen grudgingly agreed, although they immediately began to spy on Nagash and try to find out how to get it all for themselves. As time went on, they found other sources and the overwhelming desire for all the warp stone at Cripple Peak lessened, but still the Council spied and Nagash's undead legions grew and grew becoming a threat to the entire world, and that included the Skaven. The salvation of all their schemes was soon to come, however, and the glittering prize would become theirs one way or another. So the Council of Thirteen is the ruling body of the Skaven. They are 13 Skaven lords. Nobody really knows who they are, and that's all done on purpose. Mm -hmm. And the Skaven are relatively complicated, and we promise we will get into them. <laughs> yes. Can't wait for that episode. Yeah, the Skaven definitely are Definitely my crazy. favorite faction of Old World and Age of Sigmar. And we'll definitely touch this side, their side of this story when we do cover that. Because the Cripple War, or Cripple, the War of Cripple Peak is pretty important. What happens mm-hmm. to the Skaven as they're working with Nagash is as pretty well fucked up. As well as all the up. allied forces. Yeah. And just kind of like what other factions are doing meanwhile is big too. And the Skaven are very much like... The, as the Skaven are working close enough with Nagash cooperatively, and then their spies are spying on Nagash so much that they they literally come to the conclusion, they're like, oh, this dude can take the entire world. Mm-hmm. This shit needs to stop. The Skaven go... This dude is an existential threat that needs to be stopped. Yes. <laughs> That's the level Nagash is at. <laughs> With that, Nagash's skeletal warriors marched once again on Kemri, brushing aside the city's plague-ridden and dying defenders. So to, to catch you guys up, before we took a jaunt into Skaven, Nagash territory, Nagash had released, had had poisoned the great Vietai River and made it the great Mortis River and plague and everything had just devastated all of Nehekara. You pronounce his name very beautifully and I don't. Alkadizar? Alkadizar. Alkadizar is basically like at his wits end at this point because everything Mm -hmm. around him is dying and he doesn't know why. The Mm -hmm. Skaven had been watching this army just grow and grow and grow and it gets to that boiling point and then Nagash just sends them out and they just fucking march right into Kemri unopposed. They break into the royal palace and they drag Alcazar down and into the dungeons of, uh, down and back to the dungeons of Nagash Azar to rot. They basically throw him in some of the deepest dungeons of Nagash Azar. And while that's all happening, Nagash, for the first time in centuries, sits himself once again on the throne of Kemri. However, he doesn't stay in Kemri very long and soon returns himself to Nagash Azar to start his great ritual. With this spell, he aimed to resurrect every corpse across the globe, which he would bind to his will and then use to conquer the world. To power this ritual, he consumed a vast quantity of warp stone and called all of the energy that had been stored inside the Black Pyramid for aeons. Dark clouds gathered for hundreds of miles about his fortress. The ground shook. And then at the height of his ritual, a great wave of power surged out from his body. This wave rushed over the lands of Nehakara, ripping life from everything left in its path. The last survivors of the great land fell to the ground, withering and aging a century in the blink of an eye. Within minutes, all of Nehakara had been stripped of life. Only Nagash's hatred toward Al-Kadazar had spared that man. 
so he could watch all those around him and all those that he had loved die. Alcadazar, who was imprisoned beneath Nagashazar, however, had one final part in all of this to play. While Nagash remained drunk with power in the midst of his ritual, cloaked rat man things slunk into the dungeons deep within the fortress, freed Alcadazar, and pressed a pure warpstone blade called the fell blade into his hands. The haggard, half-dead king stumbled into the necromancer's throne room and through sheer force of will struck Nagash down just as the sorcerer was reaching the climax of his ritual. As Nagash died, the spell spiraled out of control and swept across Nehekara. As a side note, when this happened, he struck Nagash's hand from his body and then killed him. The Skaven immediately, as as Alcadazar like stumbles out holding his body, because there was a fight, he was wounded. The Skaven immediately dive into the throne room, collect all of the different pieces of Nagash's corpse and fucking burn them. Oh, yeah. They were like, absolutely not. In no way can this dude come back. However, the things that they were unable to collect were the crown of Nagash and Nagash's, or the crown of sorcery and Nagash's severed hand, the claw of Mm -hmm. Nagash. And that's a big problem. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to talk about the remnants of evil. We're going from 1151 to 15 years before Sigmar. So this is... White and Interville. 15 years after Sigmar. 15 and, years after yeah. Sigmar, yes. Yeah, so, sorry, I, I noted that wrong. So it's all, yeah, yeah, you got it. <laughs> okay, got it. We're going from negative to positive numbers yes. here. Yeah, yeah. Some square roots in there too, but yes. Um, <laughs> Some cosines. <laughs> so this, is, this is a very large interval and this is a very big TLDR. While Nagash had been defeated and killed, his part of his spirit still lingered in his magical artifacts, the most powerful and prominent of which was the crown of sorcery. When Nagash defeated Al-Khadizar, tried to make his way back home with the crown in his possession, but he was driven mad for the loss of his people, wounded and suffering the effects of the Warpstone Fellblade. His wounds took him and he fell dead upon the banks of an unknown river. It wasn't until the melting of the spring snow that Al-Khadizar's frostbitten and frozen corpse was found by Kadan, a shaman of the Lodengren folk. Kadan recognized Alcadizar for the might king he had been and ordered a barrow be built for his corpse. However, something in the crown attracted the old shaman and he kept it. Part of Nagash's spirit fed the old man the necromancer's secrets, filling his dreams with the promises of power and empire. Once his Soon, his once noble soul had been corrupted by the crown and he ordered his tribesmen to build a city on the site of Alcadizar's burial mound. The city was named Morkain, which meant place of death in his people's language. For a brief time, a wicked civilization bloomed in the Badlands, stretching from the Black Gulf in the west to the entrance of Mad Dog Pass in the eastern World Edge Mountains, from the edge of the Blood River in the north to the Marshes of Madness in the south, with colonies even being established in the area that would later be known as the Border Princes. The orcs pushed out of the Badlands. Uh, so it's pretty crazy. The orcs had been a problem in the Badlands for fucking ever. And these dudes just, they made a new mini Nagash empire and pushed the orcs out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, dude, the, the, and that, it's, it's a good point. And we didn't mention it before. This episode covers over 2,000 years of history. Yes. <laughs> Most of it being Nagash bullshit, but... <laughs> Yes. You pronounce all of the names way better than I do. It sounds very pretty. Thank you for thank you for bringing 
a bit of pronunciation to the podcast. Mm. <laughs> it's been sorely missing by the four white guys from Kentucky. <laughs> His mind plagued by dreadful visions, Kadan began to recreate the books of Nagash, recording the great necromancer's dark history and committing his secrets once again to paper. The crown obscured his vision, and he took to worshipping Nagash as a god and forcing his followers to do the same. The cult of Nagash was then reborn, and once again undead things began to keep guard over its temples. Gadon himself lived in a black marble palace built over the entrance to Alcazar's burial mound and was the most devoted worshipper of Nagash. The Badlands had never been fertile, and the population of Morncane had never been large. But they built citadels and excavated burrows with the labor provided by untiring zombies. Soon, even roads linked the far edges of these lands to the capital of Morcane. Kadon was far from just an acolyte and pawn of Nagash, and had been a powerful sorcerer on his own before he had found the crown of sorcery. So as his mind filled with the great necromancer's knowledge, he began to write and experiment with his own spells. He even wrote his own infamous grimoire in the ink distilled from blood, and the volume itself was bound in flayed human skin. Talking about the Necronomicon there, Marky. <laughs> as Morcane became a site of dark evils, the dwarves who had once traded with them turned away in disgust. The power of the crown even drew to Nagash, the severed Talon, the Claw of Nagash, which was found by some of Kadan's followers, an artifact that he claimed and used even more to cow them. So like the parts of Nagash called to each other, which is creepy. The booty tickler. Lord of Voldemort kind of shit. There's definitely a lot. I And I realize that there's a lot of tropes in fantasy, but there's yes. a lot of, uh, there's a lot of Harry Potter Yes. Things in the old world of Warhammer. And the old world of Warhammer was written before. But at the same time, it's not that Warhammer came up with any of this stuff because, like, that no. there's also very definite hand of Vecna. You know, but there's also, like, D&D stuff in there. Only yeah. so many ways you can, like, write about magic. Oh, yeah. So I, it's actually kind of funny. I didn't think about it until the day, but Arkin, the, mm -hmm. you know, Nagash's Jafar. lieutenant. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's also, that's also Joe Maganello's character in the D&D stuff that they all do. Oh, and okay. Joe Maganello's character has the hand of Vecna grafted onto his body. So, oh, wow. like, if Arkin got the claw of Nagash, it'd be like, oh, it's pretty. Like, there, there's, a, there's, a, yeah. Like you said, there's only so much in the fantasy trope world, and then it all kind of smashes yeah. together. Exactly. Becomes a gumbo. A, <laughs> a jambalaya, <laughs> if you will. Mm, a jambalaya, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> the necromancers of Morcane eventually became inward-focused and decadent as their period of expansion seemed to be over. It was then from the World Edge Mountains that a savage horde of orcs under the warlord Dork Redeye? I didn't make it up. His name is Dork Redeye. <laughs> <laughs> That's unfortunate. Dork Redeye descended upon them. Redeye was armed with an enchanted blade that made him invincible to evil magics, and the men of Morcane and their undead armies were no match for the Horde's savagery. The Greenskin Horde gutted the kingdom, putting everything to fire or the sword. Those who survived were driven northward. 
Kadan himself was killed by Red Eye in the city of Morgheim, and with his death, so ended his kingdom. The crown was snatched from his dead hands by Maroth, one of his own disciples, who fled northward, forced to slink and hide as he was chased by orcs. No trace was left of the kingdom of Morcane, aside from a handful of scorched remains and haunted harrows where evil undead lurked. These remnants of the Lost Kingdom made up the burial mounds that are scattered throughout the Badlands and Border Princes. As some of those who survived entombed themselves alive within their barrows, and their evil spirits still lurk there. Other survivors carry their dark knowledge even further northward to where a new power stirred. The man-god named Sigmar had risen to unite the warring tribes of men into an empire. But within his empire, there were always shadow corners where a necromancer could survive, possibly thrive. So Morgheim is a city, is a ruined city in the middle of the Marshes of Madness, and it used to be Morcane. Mm -hmm. um, it's just one of those weird things that happens in history. It Red Eye defeated Kadon and Morgheim because it's mm -hmm. no longer known as Morncane after he was defeated. So it's ah. one of those one of those weird little things. It mm -hmm. happens in Warhammer 40k lore a lot too. Like there when do you stop calling it old earth and when do you start start calling it Terra? Holy Terra. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those things. But yeah, yeah. um it, it's there's a lot of a lot of stuff in all of Nagash's background that even looking at from an Age of Sigmar perspective, you know, we definitely mm -hmm. get the Grave Lords you definitely get a little taste of the um, the ghoul quartz. You definitely get a taste even of the... Oh, crap. I forgot what... Oh, my God. Why can't I remember what the ghosties are called? The night haunt. Night haunts. Thank you. You get little little teases of the night haunts. Like, everything undead at the end of the day swears fealty to Nagash. Yep. And there's a lot of, you know, the the winds of purple magic are called Saish, uh, are Shai called Shaiish. And the realm of Nagash is Shaiish. Yes. So even the, the vampire courts like have fealty towards Nagash? Yeah. If it's one of the Halloween costume factions, it's for <sighs> Nagash. Really? So, so like so Nagash like, is the big bad for all of them. Like he yeah. is the yes. guy. Mm -hmm. Interesting. The Queen of Lamia, uh Nefrata, who we talked about earlier. Right. Mm -hmm. She is essentially but she's bound to Nagash. Oh, okay. So she's the mother of vampires. Like all vampires can trace their lineage back to her. Yeah. But she only became a vampire because she used Nagash's necromatic magic to make the elixir of life. But so she she did it wrong. He's almost like the the emperor for the for the undead ghosty yeah. type stuff. Okay. Essentially, he's the second primarch. <laughs> <laughs> That brings us up to 15 IC, just barely into the infancy of the Empire and right after the establishment of the Imperial Calendar. While Nagash's story is far from over, we will be taking a break from his shenanigans to focus back on the history of the Old World and the rise of the Empire itself. What is the uh, the next thing we're going to be covering? So I want to know when Skaven... I want to know when Skaven's coming. Episode four will most likely be a jaunt back into catching up with the dwarves and the elves and getting us up to Sigmar. Okay. Um, but that's that's a good question. Our original roadmap, if you will, had been to try to kind of rush through all of this in like two or three episodes so we could get to talking about the nine mortal realms in the Age of Sigmar. 
And I guess what we kind of need to know from everybody, including you, Marky, do you want us to keep deep diving into some of the factions? Do you want us to start looking at some of the heroes of the old world? Do you, would you rather us wrap up in another episode or two and lay out the Age of Sigmar stuff and then come back? Me personally, yeah. I like, I like the faction breakdowns because I know next to nothing about old world and, right. and Age of Sigmar doubly so. I know about like the transition. That's about all I know from fan from old world to age of Sigmar. I do I say faction breakdowns. Yeah, I do. I do really like the faction breakdowns because it, it not it. only does it give me the history, but it also tells me a little about about the faction that right. I know almost nothing about. Like I had no idea that Nagash was the big bad for, for all of the, the undead, yeah. the, the daddy boys. Well, so, and Nagash is a huge, huge part of Age of Sigmar. And that, that's yeah. the thing that I'm realizing as I'm going back. Being an old Hammer guy, there was definitely a, like, they destroyed my game, this Age of Sigmar stuff turned up my yeah. nose. I totally did that for two editions. I only started dabbling in third edition for Age of Sigmar. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm doing a lot of this research and dabbling back into the lore, a lot of the stuff that we've covered is all really important to Age of Sigmar. Like, it, yeah. it's not directly important, but it informs why the dwarves are the way they are, why the elves are the way they are, why the undead are the way they are. Yeah. It it informs why the mortal realms exist, I guess. I also, yeah. personally, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know about you, your, your plans for, you know, moving forward, but personally, I want to stick to old world for as long as possible, just because I yeah. know, I know a lot less or I, I care a lot less about the Age of Sigmar because it's I I don't know it's Age of Sigmar to me it doesn't feel as important as Old World because Old World is essentially the the foundation right so I want to know as yeah. much as I can about the foundation before we move on to like oh this is the the re the reimagining of of fantasy like Age uh, of Sigmar does something really unique in the realm of world building and fantasy. Right, um, because you know the old world is very much, and we've talked about this in past creative writing episodes. When you sit down to write science fiction or fantasy, there are kind of these like tentpole staples that you gather around. When you write a fantasy world, a lot of people kind of come back to this idea of Middle Earth, and Middle Earth is kind of based on our own planet. Right, and it's very very common to do, and that's the old world is very much based on that, and the old world is very much based on that because of the the roots of. Games Workshop is a model company and the fact that they didn't start making Warhammer, they started making miniatures for Lord of the Rings. In fact, right. they're the only company that can owns the license to make miniatures for Lord of the Rings now. So a lot of it just kind of like amalgamated out of what they wanted to do. They wanted to do historical wargaming, but with fantasy dudes. Right. Um, Age of Sigmar, from a world building standpoint and from a fantasy story standpoint, is really really different and really really rich which makes it really really cool but it relies so much on the world that was and in weird ways in really really weird ways that that you you don't think about that's why like i'm I'm trying to draw a parallel to 40k because that's what i'm familiar with right so right the the Mm -hmm. cicatrix maledictum the whole the whole event of that wouldn't have been as dramatic or as as big i can't think of a fancier word traumatic uh, yeah. traumatic it wouldn't be wouldn't have been as traumatic if you didn't understand everything that came beforehand so that's why i feel like sticking to old world for as long as possible will help me understand 
the foundation to where the impact that the Age of Sigmar had, where everything got was destroyed and then rebuilt, will have a, a larger effect on me than if we were like, okay, we're going to cover this, and then we're going to move on to uh, Age of Sigmar, where it's like, okay, and then everything blew up, and everything changed, and then it was rebuilt in Sigmar's, you know, uh, in Sigmar's vision. The, the Emperor's soul. <laughs> right, right. So, like, it, it, like the fall of Cadia... To I guess this is another yeah. example. The yeah, fall we didn't, where we Kadia, didn't start with the thirteenth Black Crusade. We started right. with yeah. I got you. I got but, you. But I guess my my point is like the fall of Cadia, where Cadia was destroyed. Spoiler alert. Uh, where Cadia <laughs> was destroyed. People that came into forty k and were like, oh, Cadia was destroyed. That sucks. But like the the how traumatizing i don't i don't know if that's the the yeah how traumatic for, how how traumatic it was to people that have been in the game for a lot longer not to like act all old head type shit but it like the fall of cadia was huge like that was it had like, a much more profound effect if you had been playing since third edition exactly yeah because yeah. it's like it's like losing a it's like losing a, a child you know i, I mean it's and that's kind of what a lot of warhammer fantasy battle players went through when right. fantasy battle when when the old world exploded and then the age of sigmar came about there was this huge like well this they, thing that we've invested all this time in is they now lost gone. their their hobby child essentially right, right? yeah right. so that that's why it's like when it's you just, when Kadia fell it's like holy shit yeah. like this is this is gnarly like so i can imagine that if to that effect but on a larger scale because it's an, an entire it's an entire world versus <laughs> I guess that it's an entire world in both aspects, but a, yeah. an entire world or story built around that world versus like a world in a universe. I, like kind of, in- I kind of feel like that's sort of what Emmy has been helping me identify a little bit more. I don't really feel mm-hmm. like I've come to any decisions on my own. <laughs> I'm like, Hey, this is more- getting big. What do you think? And she's like, we need to take more time. <laughs> Yeah, I think more parts on the old world will just make the impact of going from old world to Age of Sigmar, yeah. realms, Age of Sigmar, much more impactful. So that's another thing. And Emmy, you you brought this up earlier um, tonight, but another thing that we could do, just like we've done with the Warhammer 40k stuff, is heroes of the old world, where we can yes. pick a specific character and we can just you know Nagash is a specific character but nagash is a god and he is fundamental to the existence of the old world and age of sigma yeah, it's almost it's almost like <laughs> covering like, the emperor essentially like right. von karstein for right. example exactly or, yeah or felix jaeger or, or and uh, gotrick gotrick Ernest yeah, and felix yeah. yeah there there are definitely these famous characters yeah, that we can who's the orc the really big orc dork red eye yeah, dark red eye. <laughs> no. Oh, oh fuck. and and um, Bankhole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. Who is the big orc? Do you know who I'm talking about? I know. I can picture. I I'm he's picturing like, his art in my head. He's like this big orc, and he like helps Sigmar take down um Archeon in like that yeah. big battle with Archeon. Oh, what the hell is his name? And then of course there's the um uh. Grimgore Ironhide. Grimgore, of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the there's the Ever Chosen. There's three Ever Chosen. We haven't talked about the Ever Chosen yet because the first Ever Chosen hasn't what an Ever Chosen is. Yeah. yeah, we need to um, do like a Rise of the Ever Chosen episode. And like Archeon is still a, is it another 
giant part of Age of Sigmar. Like you can't get away from Archeon and Archeon's yeah. origin is in the end times. Yeah, yes. I, I guess it would also be more impactful like if we do those hero spotlights or character spotlights mm-hmm. where some of these characters I'm assuming didn't carry over into Age of Sigmar, right? No. Some of them didn't, some of them did and some of them didn't. Yeah. Right. So it would be more impactful in that sense where you're like and then when we get to Age of Sigmar, also, when we did the hero spotlight on so-and-so, they didn't carry over. They died. They're gone. They're no longer in the Age of Sigmar. This mm-hmm. is all... Yeah, so, I mean, that's another way to be impactful about it as well. Not to make of, this, like, a production uh, meeting type deal, but... <laughs> you guys, you, everybody everybody listening now, you're glimpsing behind the curtain a little bit. But, yeah, let us know, uh, listeners. Please reach out to us. Get a hold of us. Um, you can answer these questions that we just put out there, how you guys want us so to approach it, whether or not this is, whether or not it feels like we're on the right track as you podcast, you know, we lay out these roadmaps, we lay out these plans and then we kind of get into it and we build a flow and we kind of figure it out and we, we change and mutate as we move forward. Mm-hmm. Also, we've met some great people through the community, including Emmy, a, a fantastic painter, um, she'll plug her stuff here in a minute so you can find her. But if you're a big part of the Emmy and I found each other through the Age of Sigmar community on TikTok, if you're part of the Warhammer Fantasy Battle community and you'd like to talk to us about some of the old paint jobs you've done or some of the old experiences you've had, please reach out to us. Get in contact with us. We've got a couple of different ways to do that. You can get in contact with us about everything I just said, or you can share your short stories, your lore, and your spooky dookies with us uh, through email, the old-fashioned way, at underthiveofmadness at gmail.com or jimdarkgaming at gmail.com. And if you're a part of our community at Under the Hive of Madness, y'all are pieces of shit. Let me tell you something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Calling out the entire Discord community. <laughs> y'all are something else. Y'all are something else. Let me tell you. Well, I had something more positive to say about the Discord, <laughs> <laughs> which is that you should join it because you could talk to us about lore, hobby, and tactics of 40K, AOS. Magic the Gathering, RPGs, video games, PC games, pretty much any kind of gaming, there's somebody in the community that will talk to you about your special interest. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram. Um, Ryan and I are on TikTok. I am on TikTok at Coral Pecan. I am also on Instagram and unsuccessfully dabbling in YouTube shorts. And you can Aren't also find us and under the hive of madness.com. Help the podcast grow by liking and reviewing us wherever you get your podcast fix. We are on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, and many more. You can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash under the hive of madness. All Patreon members get access to video podcasts with minimal editing. You can also see our beautiful faces, hear our amazing blunders. All Patreon levels get access to our quarterly painting contest as well. Get yourself a red squig. Uh, plus, we have other perks at higher levels, so go ahead and get your rocks off. Join us for 3 6 or $9. Damn you fine. <laughs> the ice bore in the last bastion. Make the connection, you idiot. Faster, faster. Ah, yes, the man things are gone. Scurry down to the fanged rep. Try, try your luck at knife throwing. Live targets and only two warp chits a dagger. Plus, we have the best, best meat in the underhive. Ice boar, dwarf, or elf. Just just hit the set again, Marky. I don't... I, I, wait, no, I think... <laughs>
I think we're back. I think we're that was weird. Uh, I, I'm, I might partake. What? <laughs> the rat juice sounds good. I'm all down for rat juice. Anything other than the sump beer that I've been drinking for years and years. <laughs> the fungi beer gets a little old. The reckless cascade of sound designed to make your dad's blood boil right before we blow out his favorite speakers. We are the screaming vengeance of truth. 665.66 UHMA Camrat Radio. Reminding all of you Camrats, hive mice, and sump ghoulies to keep those dials fixed right here. Different ratty frequency. Yes, yes. Run. (laughs) (laughs) Always remember... Every cesspool might contain a warp token or two.